by now. I'm talking about Chi-Town. and taking it out of the air. Lord Stanley's new address is sweet home Chicago. The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup. Maybe we could start again. Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of the Second City Show. Patrick Flowers and David Wildman here with you as we get ready to kiss 2019 goodbye this evening but first we got some things to talk about in the Chicago sports landscape and hopefully you can enjoy listening to them while you're out and about and getting ready for your New Year's Eve festivities tonight. Um, Dave first thing on the slate obviously this afternoon Ryan Pace and the Chicago Bears held their season end press conference and they doubled down as uh, Mitchell Trubisky being the starting quarterback in 2020. And then after the press conference, they made a series of coaching changes, including firing offensive coordinator Mark Helfrich, offensive line coach Harry Heastand, tight ends coach Kevin Gilbride, and assistant special teams coach Brock Olivo. Dave, give me some quick thoughts on, on anything today from the Bears' uh, end-of-season presser and, and coinciding coaching moves. You know, I think the most interesting thing that actually came out of the press conference was not so much Pace talking about how Mitch will be the starter in 2020 because sitting here on New Year's Eve, that means nothing. Um, you know, we, we've we seen Pace sit there before and tell us how fired up he is about the fact that Mike Glennon's going to be the starter, invite him to the draft party, and then draft Mitch Trubisky. Um, I think the most telling thing that came out of the press conference was, um, if you remember last year, he was able to say at this season end press conference, yeah, we're picking up the fifth-year option on Leonard Floyd. He wouldn't say that about Mitch today. So I think that that was more telling than anything else that happened at the press conference today. That's a pretty good point. And, I mean, did you really expect them to say anything other than Mitch is going to be the quarterback in 2020? I mean, with only Mitch and, and Chase Daniel on the roster, and I believe Chase Daniel's contract is expiring anywho, um, it would have been – it would have been really weird for them to do anything short of endorse him for just at least next season today with nothing else on the roster and really nothing else in the works. You can, you can't even, even if you use your imagination, they lack, they lack draft stock and uh, cap flexibility to do anything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that they'll find a way to add a quarterback to the roster. Um, you know, you've heard so many options thrown out there. Phillip Rivers, Cam Newton, Marcus Mariota, James Winston. You know, and I, I think they'll add someone to at least push Mitch a little. Obviously, they're not going to bring in Tua, and they're not going to bring in, you know, even a guy like Justin Herbert. Um, you know, I think when you start looking at the fact that they have now two picks separated by about 15 spots in the second round – that maybe you look at a guy like Jake Fromm out of Georgia in that spot. And, you know, Pace, when he came in, said, ideally we'll be drafting a quarterback every year. Obviously that hasn't happened. That'll change this year. Um, And, you know, I I like some of the options later in the draft. And so, you know, I think come next year, you'll be looking at someone that could viably push Mitch for that starting spot. 
and another person maybe waiting in the wings a year or two down the road. But I think as things stand now, like you mentioned, with the lack of cap and with the lack of draft picks, we're probably looking at another year where where Mitch is starting to start the year, I'd imagine. Yeah, and I mean, we won't delve too far into the quarterback situation right now because there's a lot of time to do so. But I'll tell you... um, I'm good on Jameis 30 for 30 Winston. I will probably <laughs> puke if, if they bring him into Weren't town. Weren't you a big Jay Cutler guy, though? Just like Jay Cutler on steroids. Don't you ever compare Jay Cutler to Jameis Winston again. <laughs> ever. Okay? <laughs> Jameis Winston is garbage. The only reason he threw 30 touchdowns is because he has two all-pro wide receivers catching the ball for him. The 30 interceptions is, is really... Um, more telling of, of the kind of quarterback he has been and will continue to be. Uh, I like Jake Fromm. If they can, if he's there when they're picking, I really like Jake Fromm out of Georgia. He'd be an interesting uh, fit. I don't know if he'd even be a fit. Who the hell knows who's even going to be running the offense by then? But um, I like him now in college at Georgia. So. Yeah, I think that that Fromm's a guy. He's not going to blow you away with his arm strength. He's not going to make, you know, these Patrick Mahomes-type throws, and and he's probably not going to make some of the plays that you've even seen Mitch flash now and again. But I think, you know, I know you said we can't delve too much into quarterbacks. Well, we can if you want. I just didn't know how far you wanted to take that. You know, I I think Fromm is a guy that eventually you'll just plug in and he'll be rock solid. Um, You know, I – there are some rumors floating around yesterday that if he's healthy, Alex Smith might be the guy for the Bears. And I think that Fromm offers you a similar ceiling to Alex Smith, where he'll be, you know, above a game manager, but, you know, not a megastar. But, you know, with, with the roster like the Bears have, if they can deal with that offensive line a little bit, it's kind of all you need. Yeah, I totally agree. I wrote um... – a while back, maybe maybe after week one of this season, that the Bears don't need Mitchell Trubisky to be great. They just need him to be good, and he wasn't that. And then a lot of other shit went wrong with the roster this season and the play calling and, and whatever. So, I mean, but but the, the things that I referenced in that story still stand true. Uh, the fact that over the last, uh, you know, 20 years – there's been plenty of teams that have won Super Bowls with dominant defenses, good supporting cats, and and good quarterbacks. You know, you don't have to have a superstar quarterback to win a Super Bowl, despite what many people think. The you know the, the proof is in the numbers. I don't have them in front of me now, but if anybody wants t- to see those, you know, I can provide them for you on Twitter. <laughs> um, so if 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 what you describe as as Jake Fromm's profile is accurate uh then i would love that and i I also (laughs) i was watching the uh i was watching the clip of uh drew lock on the sidelines rapping the other day i want to point out that last year you and i uh were dabbling in a little madden and uh we picked a denver broncos to rebuild and run a franchise (laughs) with and who did we draft as our quarterback the drew lock the drew lock and then he ends up getting picked by the Broncos, takes over, and looks pretty good. And, you know, and I, he could spit bars. I think that raises an interesting point that you don't 
you don't want to make a move like Joe Flacco. Um, you know, and that's why when some people say like, oh, Philip Rivers or Cam Newton, you know, I kind of, you know, I, I, while I see the upside potential of those moves, they, they, they kind of make me back off a little bit just because, you know, how often, you know, you have Peyton Manning in like 2013 or whatever, but realistically, how often do you see guys that look over the hill are at the age where they could be over the hill and just step into a new scene and light it up? Yeah, not very often at all. It's, it's a great point. I mean, Peyton Manning was, was the outlier, uh, at least in recent memory. And really, nobody expected that. I mean, Peyton Manning was, for, for all intents and purposes, done after the neck surgeries and, and, and the, uh, you know, the, his way out the door in Indianapolis. I didn't expect him to go and have a couple more record-setting years, Super Bowl-caliber years in Denver. No, and, and you know, I think... You know, Cam Newton was the MVP a few years ago. Cam Newton was great, but that's not Cam Newton anymore. Philip Rivers was awful this year. Um, and, you know, I, we, we touched on Winston a little bit, but, you know, the, the options that the Bears have in front of them are just not that attractive to me. And, you know, it. I, I think that they're... I think the ideal move is, is draft a guy with one of these second-round picks and, and hope that either Mitch gets it together or someone turns into a competent starter. Um, you know, I'm all over the place with Mitch. I go back and forth between hating him and thinking there's still something left. Um, you know, I, I think right now I, I sort of have to err towards the experiment failed, but... Marcus Mariota is not going to step in here and turn us into <laughs> uh, You almost got a Kawhi Leonard laugh out of me. <laughs> I, I think that Marcus Mariota th- thing is, is dead anyway with the firing of uh, Mark Helfrich. That was really the the connection there that, that people were making when trying well, to connect Pace the dots. Pace had a quarterback crush on Mariota in his draft year. Oh, well, let's hope Pace isn't making the decision here because he's not done very well with quarterbacks. Let's hope they just put it in Matt Nagy's lap and say, "This is, these are who you can get. Pick one, because you know this is who you're riding with. Because unless Ryan Pace wants to um, be out the door before Nagy, this is going to be it for Nagy. He's going to get he's going to get one choice in quarterback. It's not going to be his dream choice because they don't have the resources to make it happen. But I I think I would hope that they hinge the next quarterback they bring in on the theory that Matt Nagy is in love with that guy and feels he can work. Ideally. (laughs) (laughs) Ideally. Um, Spinning around a little bit uh, across the city, uh, the White Sox didn't do anything today, which is now becoming kind of surprising for us, right? I mean, we, we get, we were a little this, spoiled. Yeah. A little, we're getting a little spoiled. We're on this, this signing acquisition high. Um, but our division rival, the Minnesota twins, uh, made their answer to us today in the pitching market. I mean, we've both teams. The only were, thing they could do at this. Yeah. Point. I mean, both teams obviously needed one to two starters. The white Sox struck first. They got Gio Gonzalez and they got Dallas Keuchel, who I'm going to talk about after we talk about this. Um, and then the Twins today, you know, bottom of the barrel. Only thing left 
they signed Rich Hill and uh, Homer Bailey, two one-year deals each. <laughs> Homer Bailey was surprisingly okay in Oakland last year. Rich Hill, I believe, is not going to play until June at this point, so I'm not even really sure what that signing does for him. It still leaves them a hole in the rotation for the first two months. Yeah, I, I mean, Bailey was, I mean, you look at his stats, and up until last year, one of the worst pitchers in baseball. I mean, yeah, he was supremely disappointing in Cincinnati, that is for sure. 2015, a 5.56. 2016, a 6.65. 2017, a 6.43. 2018, a 6.09. I mean, you know, and, and his projections here on baseball reference have him at 150 innings at 5.5. <laughs> You know, I'm not. I'm not exactly shaking in my boots. Um, you know, I see a lot of rationalization from Twins fans that they're saving room for Josh Donaldson. But from what I understand, with people that are well connected with the Twins, they've got the fourth year on the table already, and he still hasn't taken it. Um, that's not an inside source. That's something that Dan Hayes, who we all love and miss, uh, tweeted out earlier today. You know, and. They say, well, he's waiting on the fourth year from one of the Nationals or Braves, and he's got it from the Twins and isn't taking it. Um, you know, as it stands, the Twins still haven't done enough. Rich Hill is 40 years old and somehow still somewhat effective when he's healthy, but he's not usually healthy. Um, it's, you know, good good for the Twins. They needed pitching, but I, someone, I think it was Jordan Lazowski, tweeted that, the Twins offseason is the worst-case scenario White Sox offseason, but instead it's the Twins. That's so nice. Um, I just don't I don't see it. I mean, like I said, Hill, like you, you said it perfectly, went healthy, and he's coming into the situation unhealthy. Um, Pineda, who they re-signed, uh, I believe he's going to miss time on the front end of the season as well. Bailey's been pretty disappointing his entire career. Um, I mean, it's tough for the, they lost Kyle Gibson, the, the Twins rotation. It, right now, and I don't think they're going to get Donaldson. I, I do not think that's going to happen whatsoever. Right now, to me, the Twins not only are not the favorite to win the American League Central anymore, I, I, couldn't, I can't even put them past Cleveland right now. Well, now we know Cleveland is, is likely going to continue to subtract, but as constructed today, Cleveland is better than Minnesota. On paper, and the White Sox are better than the Twins, in my opinion. I think the Twins are third in that division right now on paper after an incredibly disappointing and empty offseason for them. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I mean, you nailed it. Homer Bailey, you know, I, I think Homer Bailey's funny just thinking back that that dude's been in the league 13 years now. And I remember when he was a hot shot prospect in Cincinnati. And there were rumors floating around that he was Kenny Williams' guy and a potential Jermaine Dye deal. I mean, oh. that's how long Homer <laughs> Bailey's been around. And, you know, he he never put it together. You know, I, I think you're right that right now the Twins are the third team in this division. They're not going to hit 320 home runs next year or whatever they did. Their pitching has taken a step back. I mean, 
this offseason off is shaping up perfectly. We can only hope that the Indians move Lindor now. Yeah, I, I think that they will move Lindor. Um, Cleveland being – Cleveland generally operates as, as a small market team the majority of the time. And I think what – they're not going to l- allow Lindor to walk in free agency with nothing in return. It's just not the way teams like the Indians operate. So I, whether it's now uh, in the offseason – or whether it's the trade deadline on July 31st. He, I don't think Francisco Lindor finishes the season with the Indians. Yeah, I, um, you know, and their GM even said it last year that, you know, with Lindor, it, it's, I think he literally said, enjoy him while we have Yeah. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine a GM <laughs> saying that with your superstar with two and a half years of control left? Uh, I, I feel like... That was said in Cleveland when it came to LeBron James as well. And it proved true. But the only difference is I don't see Lindor making a comeback to win him a championship. No, I don't see that either. Man, you know, we're pretty we're a pretty insufferable fan base at times. And, and it's been pretty thin as of late uh, in Chicago across the board. Um, but, man, would it suck to be a Cleveland sports fan. Just suck. And you see what's going on with the Browns today? Yeah, I was just going to pivot to that. I mean, you, the Indians are subtracting. Uh, the Cavaliers are in the cellar. And then the Browns, who, you know, everybody in the beginning of the season, and I told everybody, you're crazy. Stop it. This team is full of character flaws. They're going to implode. What do they do? They implode. Baker Mayfield regressed. Miles Garrett <laughs> lost his mind. Um, OBJ was <laughs> Kept losing his mind. OBJ kept losing his mind, uh, and or now maybe we should say he didn't find his mind. He yeah, he never <laughs> found. You're right. He never found it. Come get me. Come get. Just begging hey, other teams to trade for him. Ruin Jarvis Landry. Yep. And then uh, they fire Freddie Kitchens after one year, and then today there's a quote uh, mutual parting of the ways between the Browns and uh, John Dorsey, and Dor- Dorsey. Had nothing but success in Green Bay. He comes to Cleveland. He's the one who literally flipped that roster upside down and and constructed it to a point where people were goofy enough in the preseason to buy all of the stock they could possibly buy in the Browns. And now uh, Haslam wants to remove power from him uh, in his role as a general manager. So obviously Dorsey said, no thanks. Yeah, um... The, that's the epitome of dysfunction right there. That is just horrible. You just, like you said, you take solace. Um, you know, the Bulls are trending that direction, but they're not even <laughs> that bad yet. Speaking of the Bulls, they played the Bucks last night. Once again, Giannis Antetokounmpo made the Bulls look silly. Um, the Bucks thrashed him 123-102. to 102. The Bulls fell to 13-21 and 21 in the season. There's really no signs of any sort of pulse on that team or any viable path to getting better um, unless something changes in the front office, uh, which I doubt happens. What a, what a mess. What an absolute mess. Basketball purgatory. Yeah. You know, I, I think that uh, I actually have an article that's going to come out the next day um, about Zach Levine, and I think that you know, Zach Levine is in the second year of that four-year, $78 million contract he got. And, you know, we're, we're sort of at a crossroads because between him and Porter and after 
season, Porter's almost definitely going to pick up his option for next year. Um, you know, if this team has any hope of becoming a playoff team, it's going to get there on the back of Zach Levine. And, you know, 23 points a game, nice. The dunks are nice. Maybe even an all-star this year, that's great. But is he a winning basketball player? And as I sort of delved into the numbers a little bit right now, the answer is no. You know, he's a volume scorer, much in the same vein as James Harden. When you look at usage numbers and when you look at, you know, time of possession numbers, how often he's holding the ball, how long he's holding the ball, you know, he's much in the same vein as James Harden. He just doesn't score like James Harden, and he never will because he's not that good. Um, You know, you have the regression from Laurie, which we've talked about on another show before. You know, what's going on with that? Is he too muscular? Something I've heard. Um, You know, maybe he's playing hurt. Something's wrong with him. Um, I tweeted out last night, do you remember when the Bulls drafted a center that was an elite mid-range shooter and then made an organizational shift around mid-range shots? Um, And so, you know, I, I think that they're misusing uh, Wendell Carter. I think that Carter is lost right now. Um, you watch him play, and, you know, it looks like he doesn't know what he wants them to do, you know, to the point where I'm watching last night, and I was talking to a friend of mine, and right now, with the way the Bulls want their center to play, Daniel Gafford is the better option. You know, they, they want their centers to be down-home block shots and grab rebounds that's Daniel Gafford I love how Gafford plays you know he's very old-fashioned as a center but you know I think that he's a guy that even in the modern NBA could have a lot of success a lot like DeAndre Jordan um but you know I I, the Bulls team is such a mess right now and it's it's covered by the season that Levine's having and sort of the traditional stats but when you dig into it a little bit he's not a winning player and the rest is just a mess. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, <clears throat> I I will say again that I, I was I wanted so bad for the Bulls not to match that contract offer from uh, from the Kings two summers ago. I I don't I think Zach Levine's a very exciting player. He's a, like you said, he's a volume scorer. Um, he's he's great like to watch. He's very entertaining and and but he's just. He's not the guy, um, and that term I don't really like. That term I, I've argued with, you know, guys like James Fox forever. Who, who James, you know, he always that's his thing. There's got to be the guy, the guy, and I've always argued that there could be, you know, the guys. But I, I don't think Levine fits into my idea or Fox's idea. He's just not a winning basketball player, like you, you know, you alluded to so articulately. Uh, and there's nobody else on this roster right now that really is. I mean, oh man, Kobe White. <laughs> uh, he played like they have they have talent, right? Kobe White's very talented. Laurie Markin is very talented, despite his struggles this year. He has shown flashes in the last month of the Laurie Markin that we know. Wendell Carter, when allowed to play his game, is very talented. Uh, Gafford, in the role that they allow him to play, is very talented. So they're very talented young pieces on this team, but right now it's all centers around Zach Levine, and I just don't think he's the guy for it to center around. So it's just 
everyone's just spinning wheels, right? They're just changing everyone's playing style and, and profile to fit around Levine. And it's, it's not the answer. Yeah, it, it's not now, and it's, it's not going to be. This is who Zach Levine is, and it's fine as a second or third option, but, you know, as it stands right now, this team has a lot of questions, a lot of problems, and, you know, I just don't see a path back to real relevancy without, you know, I don't want to say blowing it up, but... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think you need to blow it up. I think you just need to move on from Zach Levine. And, and the good thing about that is with the, the two years, two plus years at this point of control they have on him um, and as dynamic as a scorer as he is, he has a really high trade value because somebody in the hunt, somebody who's one piece away, will pay a pretty price to add him into their their mix to be that you know to be the final piece the finishing touch not their number one but a but a dynamic scorer to complement their number one but that's if the bulls are smart enough to pull the trigger and i don't have any faith that they are i mean i think that to, to pull the trigger on something like that would be you know obviously significant it would obviously you know represent a a mea culpa, you know, they they put everything into this guy. They they match that contract, which was a superstar level contract. Um, and, you know, it, it's just the numbers are very deceiving with him. Um, and, you know, I think that he'll be on this team for a while longer and you'll keep seeing the numbers pointed out. And, you know, I think ultimately, like you said, and, you know, it's lipstick on a pig. He's just not playing winning basketball. No. And and I think that, uh, I think you, like you said, that they, they Garpax, uh, you know, they, they said some time ago, if the rebuild, if this doesn't work, then I'll quit, right? First of all, bullshit, no, you won't. Uh, we know that. <laughs> but secondly, they... I think the biggest thing that's going to stop them from from dealing Zach Levine at the peak of his trade value and bringing back some real valuable assets, whether it be players or draft stock, is because they made those claims and staked their entire rebuilding effort on Zach Levine. So if they were to trade Zach Levine, that's them saying, we fucked up again, and now we got to start over again. And I don't think they can survive the mutiny that will come with that admission yeah i mean if if this rebuild fails which it's really trending towards it it, you know you can't give them another rebuild another coach no i mean another shit john paxton's been here for like almost two decades i mean how many chances is this guy gonna get yeah um well, somebody said what he hit one he hit one big jumper as a bull in the early '90s, and the dude has a job for life. Yeah, you know, I I would love to work for Jerry Reinsdorf because apparently yeah, right? you can do no wrong. You 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 cannot fuck up working for Jerry Reinsdorf. Yeah, no, 
as long as you're not one of his players, because then he'll get rid of you, no problem. But if you're one of if you're one of his guys, I'm all I'm all for it. Yeah. Oh man, but you know what? Basketball in Chicago isn't all bad right now. We do have DePaul, despite their narrow loss to Seton Hall in the opener of the Big East play last night. DePaul is twelve and two, and currently the most exciting brand of basketball in the city of Chicago. Um, you know, we were talking back and forth last night in the game against Seton Hall. I think it was a very winnable game. I think they controlled the momentum for most of the game, and I think they just ended up succumbing to their inexperience versus the experience of a guy like Miles Powell, who in his first game back from uh, missing a couple due to a concussion, scored 27 points, and a lot of his scoring was done down the stretch and at the free throw line. You know, they got in trouble with ball control at the end of the game. They got in trouble. They got in foul trouble, um, and they just their inexperience showed, in my opinion, and I think that's where they ended up losing the game down the stretch to Seton Hall. What about you? Yeah. What do you think? 100%. There's a lot to like. You know, the way I described it, they played 35 really, really good minutes. Um, a lot of the stuff that tripped them up against Buffalo, that has tripped them up, you know, God, I mean, they were scraping against Cleveland State, um, Central Michigan, you know, a lot of those things. They were hitting their free throws. Jalen Butts was hitting his free throws. Um you know, we both mentioned that Darius Hall had his best game defensively off the bench all year. He really jumped off the screen. Um, you know, when you know they threw out some interesting three guard looks with Coleman Lands, Gage, and Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in the last five minutes, it was like everything that we said for the first thirteen games of the year would kill us in conference play did. Um, like you said, turnovers like crazy. Um, you know, Charlie Moore has this frustrating penchant to, to kind of tank possessions with a long three or an unfortunate turnover. And at the end of the day, it was the Big East opener against a team that has been to four straight NCAA tournaments versus a team that is just sort of starting to reignite um, DePaul basketball. So it was disappointing. I really wanted that win, but in the grand scheme of things, you know, I think that that was the most you could hope for in a loss. This team showed that they belong. Seton Hall will finish Miles Powell's healthy towards the top of the Big East. And, you know, I think the fact that we hung with them shows that, you know, we'll finish conservatively you know, in the middle of the pack in the Big East and still make the tournament. So, yeah, it was disappointing. It stung just because it was a winnable game. But I think that, you know, five, six games into the Big East schedule with when this team has a little bit of experience with the specific brand of Big East basketball, they'll be fine. Yeah, I agree with, with everything you just said. Um, I, I, I do want to go back to you. You mentioned in the three-guard looks that they had with – uh, more engage and Coleman lands. Um, Devin Gage looked the best he has all season last night. I mean, he had nine points, definitely four or seven from the field, um, and one and one, one and one from the uh, from distance. And he's coming. He's just getting back into the groove. You know, he's dealing with the adjustment in his role as the backup secondary point guard now to Charlie Moore. And he's had a, a hamstring issue that's been hampering him for the last few games. So it was nice to see Devin Gage really make an impact last night. And, and 
DePaul has something that they've just never, even in the last, you know, few years of the, the second coming of Dave Lato's tenure there, they had talented starting players, but they just had nothing off the bench. You could not go to the bench without a significant drop-off in talent, um, and that's where they, they ended up losing a lot of games, especially in conference play. And now when you bring Hall off the bench and you bring Gage off the bench, you know, and if, you know, there's there's just there's actual talent on the bench. You can give teams different looks than your regular starting five, and still be okay with the depth that that, that Lado's built with you know the transfers and, and that he's brought in and the players that he's got to commit. So I mean that's exciting for this year and that's exciting for the future too. Um, we said a couple weeks ago, if DePaul goes into conference play with 12 or 13 wins, and they finish the conference play 500, they make the NCAA tournament. I, They're definitely on track for that, and I think that the way that they played against Seton Hall, who was considered the favorite to win the Big East in the preseason, especially with the performance that Miles Powell, a preseason All-American, had in that game, scoring 27 points, um, that they're going to finish better than 500 in the Big East. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. Um, you know, and another big thing that we haven't touched on yet is, you know, Romeo Weems was bad last night. Yeah, he was um, bad. There, there's no way around it. You know, it seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was overwhelmed. Um, he was completely overmatched uh, by being put on Miles Powell. That should have never happened. Yeah, and he's got um, a huge advantage. The late I was doing it because he got a huge size advantage on it, but, man, oof, he, he looked horrible against Powell. Yeah. And that's not going to keep happening. And that was sort of my fear coming into the game is that the whole team would look kind of overmatched like that against an experienced Big East team like Seton Hall. And the fact that it was your your true freshman starting looking a little overmatched in his first Big East game, that's fine. You know, he's not Zion Williamson. He's a freshman. There's going to be growing pains. They were pronounced last night, we'll say. Um, but that's not going to keep happening. And if you get Weems playing how he's played in some of his better games this year, DePaul probably wins last night. And I think that moving forward, you're going to see Weems get a lot more comfortable and see this team adjust to kind of the physicality and the intensity of Big East play. And, you know, I see no reason why they can't be you know, two or three games above 500 and kind of cruise into the tournament. Me neither. It's great. You you hit it on the head, though, man. Big East play is very physical, very aggressive, and it's almost like home teams don't lose in the Big East, right? I mean, sure, DePaul did last night against Seton Hall, but, like, that home court advantage is huge. And that's that was to me, that was the most disappointing, game, disappointing part of that loss to Seton Hall is you gave away a home game, and in the Big East, home games are so crucial yeah you know but you mentioned last night you know the environment at Wintrust Arena I mean it's day and night that's a winter break game yesterday oh yeah and the stadium was packed you know and um it was nice for them to finally have a home court advantage you know yeah exactly and so I think that you know you you nailed that as well that uh you know Moving forward, especially when kids start getting back on campus, you're just going to see that home court advantage really start to emphasize itself. And that's something that DePaul has never had since you or I have been alive. Yeah. So 
Um, I think that that's going to be something moving forward that's really exciting for this team. Definitely. That's what that building was built for, to give them a home court advantage when they were good enough to you know, warrant it. I mean, the size of it and the capacity that they can put in there, it's, it's bigger than... I want to say it's bigger than any Big East facility there is. So, you know, volume-wise. So they need to take advantage of that. But, um, you know, it is what it is there for now. I'm excited. I think they play Providence next. I think that's a very winnable game to Definitely. get them one and one in the Big East. Uh, let's let's head over to the ice real quick. Uh, the Blackhawks uh, beat Columbus in the shootout uh, the other day, 3-2. to two. Robin Leonard got uh, – his first shootout victory got off the schneid there. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves with goals in the shootout, um, and the Hawks are back at 500 at least in this you know win loss record 17 17 and six. They've got 40 points, and they're within striking distance of the second wild card spot. They trail Calgary by five points, and they play Calgary tonight. Um, how are you? What's your temperature like with the Blackhawks right now? Kind of how it is outside right now. <laughs> kind of cold and snowy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, they they did the same thing last year. Um, they sort of hung around, maybe sliding into a wild card spot here or there. Um, but, you know, this is a team that is, like, on a bubble, on the bubble. Yeah. Um, and it just kind of seems like, Every time you think they have some momentum going, they crap the bed. And similarly, every time you think that they're dead in the water, they give you a little bit of spark. Um, ultimately, though, I think, you know, between the injuries to DeHaan, Seabrook, you've seen Keith start to slip a little bit in his performance as well. I mean, you know, Bar Leonard or Crawford or somebody, you know, going on the heater of all heaters. I really don't see a road for this team to get into the playoffs. And then, you know, long-term looking after this year, you, uh, you, you know, the R word starts to creep into your head. Ugh. Ugh. Man, <laughs> I don't know. You know, the, the Blackhawks, it's – you, you referenced the weather outside for your temperature. I'm going with Katy Perry's song, Hot and Cold. I mean, they're just a roller coaster. And I feel like they've been a roller coaster for the last two or three years. You know, we always see uh, Nick and Nick Petro with his <laughs> Hawks back, question mark, shit, all the time. Like, no, they never really were back. But it's just, it's a roller coaster of emotion with them. You said it perfectly. They're down. They give you just enough hope to think that they might be able to squeak into the playoffs and then crash again it's just up and down we've been on a on a year you know couple year long roller coaster ride with them and every time we think they're within striking distance they go shit the bed so with that being said they'll probably lose by five goals to calgary tonight <laughs> and uh close out 2019 in uh the fashion in which we expect the next foreseeable future for them to be looking like yeah, grim. You know, it's it. It just sucks, you know. The thought crept into my mind last night. You know, when when does trading Patrick Kane become never an option? Never. I can never ever ever get on board with them trading Kane or Tapes. I I if if those guys don't retire in Chicago, I think I'll cry. 
I'm not even kidding. I mean, I couldn't blame you, but at some point, you know, is it fair to Kane? That dude's probably... I mean, if Patrick Kane told the Blackhawks, listen, I feel like I got a couple years left in me. I want you to trade me to a contender. Please respect my wishes. I would not blame him one bit. However... Until that happens, I think Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves have earned Michael Jordan status around this city. They're here until they're not. Whether they retire or they say, trade me, please, because I want to win one more and it's not going to happen here. You know, to let the, that decision is, is in their court as far as I'm concerned. I think if the Hawks ever do anything uh, in the opposite of that, if they ever send them out of town solely because they want to bring back assets for a rebuild, you know, against their their wishes and desires, I will be incredibly devastated and pissed off at that organization. That's fair. That's fair. That's the answer I was looking for. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> well, we'll do our obligatory uh, check on the north side real quick. Let me check my notes. Hold on a second. Yep, they still haven't done shit this winter. <laughs> uh-huh. So that's we it for that. we want to talk about the Cubs. Yeah, I know. Seriously, people people probably think that, like, we hate the Cubs, when in reality, you and I are probably two of the more rational White Sox fans you will ever meet when it comes to discussing and analyzing the Cubs, you know, in, in a fair and neutral fashion. But they just, there's nothing. They're not, there's nothing to talk about. We're lucky we're not a Cubs-only podcast. Oof. <laughs> <laughs> we had a business. You, you certainly would. Um, <laughs> before we get out of here, give me your Chicago sports resolution for 2020. Wow. Um, it's going to be a lot easier than saying I want to get in like a workout regimen or something like that because <laughs> you know that's not happening for either of us. You know, I, I want to see DePaul make the tournament. Um I think that's where we're at right now. I think that's most realistic. You know, I think my my version of I'm going to start working out every day this year would be seeing the Bears fix the quarterback position. <laughs> um, and then, uh, there's my Kawhi Leonard laugh for the show. <laughs> and I, I think that um, somewhere in that middle ground, you know, in terms of very likely DePaul making the tournament would be my big one. And then I'd like to see the Sox win the division, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I I think anything I think anything outside of that would be unrealistic and um and that's different. The most we could sit here and say that the most realistic postseason or playoff type of aspirations in the city of Chicago belong to the DePaul Blue Demons men's basketball team. And the Chicago White Sox. Hey, I can get I, I can get with this new decade if that's where we're going. Yeah, that would be uh, that'd be quite the flip, but I'm all for it. It could be a fun 2020. Absolutely. Uh, before we get out of here, we want to wish everybody a happy New Year. Uh, we hope you enjoy your evening tonight. But please, please, please. Be responsible. Exercise good decision making. <laughs> Utilize all the rideshare technology that there is nowadays. Sleep over where you're at. Call a friend. Do anything you got to do. It doesn't matter. Um, do not drive 
impaired. Do not get yourself arrested. Do not endanger your life, your family members' lives, or anybody else's life. Just ring in this new year in a positive way. Enjoy yourself responsibly. Dave, what do you got on the books tonight? Hanging out, man. I'm uh, saving my money this year and uh, drinking a little bit. Um, and then at midnight, celebrating uh, legalization. <laughs> hey, there you go. But remember, folks, don't drive on that either. Yeah, <laughs> Smoke responsibly. Drink responsibly. Um, I will be consume. at my... Consume responsibly. I will be at my parents' annual New Year's Eve uh, party tonight, and I will be exercising good judgment and sleeping there. As, as always. As always. Uh, but until next time, folks, this has been another episode of the Second City Show, and we will catch you in 2020. Later. Don't know by now, I'm talking about Chi-Town. Jimenez, in the air, left field. He's your hero tonight. I think that'll be a fade to black moment with Allen Robinson taking it out of the air. Sweet home Chicago! The Chicago Blackhawks have won the Stanley Cup! Maybe we could start again.